This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Well, amid all of the earnings that we're hearing about, a lot of folks focused on Alphabet, Google, as it is better known, Google's parent company. And that stock, Carol, is trading off about 2.25%. We're following the headlines. Mm -hmm. Also, our top live blog. Let's understand what's behind those numbers. For that, we bring in Jitendra Worrell, Senior Internet and Consumer Products Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us on the phone from San Francisco, and Bob O'Donnell, President and Chief Analyst for Technalysis Research, on the phone from not too far from our San Francisco bureau down in Foster City, California. Jitendra, I want to start with you. What's driving these shares down? So basically, it's uh, costs that's uh, really weighing weighing on the company right now. So you know, it's going to cost them to play in cloud. Uh, the marketing spending is up 19%. R&D is up 25%. So what we're seeing over here is they are finding success in uh, enterprise cloud. Certainly, as the Google other segment is continuing to report strong uh, revenue growth, 39%. But uh, it will cost to play, um, and and then that's what sort of is is you're seeing in terms of their expenses going up. But as far as the core business is concerned, I mean, there's an interesting dynamic that's happening wherein the ad pricing uh, is improving, uh, whereas the number of or ad volumes is is, uh, decreasing. So what you're seeing over here is, you know, as search gets more and more crowded, it's becoming more and more valuable in terms of cost per click, and that's what's driving the top line. So the top line is fine. I think it's the expenses uh, while they push into cloud and invest in machine learning that's uh, that's uh, affecting uh, this quarter and potentially coming quarter as well. And I'm looking at our live blog on uh, the Alphabet earnings, too. They talk about advertising revenue growth up 17.2% year over year. Last quarter, it was up only 16%. And our Mark Gurman um, adding to the blog saying, in an interview with Bloomberg News, Alphabet CFO Ruth Porat attributed two main negative impacts on results. It's legal settlement with France for $1 billion related to taxes and unspecified losses from venture investments. So a lot of things. And they are apparently declining to comment on what uh, Porat called rumors surrounding a Google bid for Fitbit. So um, let's talk uh, to Bob O'Donnell. Uh, what do you make of the quarter and all the news surrounding uh, Google alphabets? Well, it, you know, exactly right. What you said in terms of it's, it's going to cost them to get into these businesses. It's good to see Google Cloud growing. We saw strength from Microsoft on the Azure side. We saw it from um, Amazon on AWS, but at a slightly slower rate. Google is actually sort of the up-and-comer in the cloud business, uh, and the Google cloud business is actually doing pretty well for them. And I think you're going to see them start to grab some share in a market that continues to grow but is slowing down a bit. I think you'll see their rate of growth probably continue for a while because they're, they're building from a smaller base. So I, I think that's important. I do think as well, this, you know, if you look at, I quickly looked through right as the numbers came out, this other income thing, they took a big hit on equity securities, a big loss. And so that seems to be a big part of the number that caused that earnings miss um, in terms of the earnings for the quarter. But we'll see, obviously, as they, they provide more details behind that. Well, and Jatendra, also interesting sort of stat that came out that their headcount increasing to 114,000 in the past 12 months from 94,000. That's a pretty meaningful jump. You know, obviously, it's a growing economy me, but they're uh, they're bringing some people on board. Yeah, so uh, basically, 
the cloud business is is you know a very primary focus uh, at Google right now, and it's going to be the sort of the deciding factor for next year as well. Uh, you know, they give you a revenue run rate of eight billion plus. Uh, I think you know the growth is going to continue there, but that growth is sort of driving the headcount. But also they're investing a lot in infrastructure. You know, with machine learning, you're seeing some results in YouTube in terms of engagement mm. uh, and then revenue growth there. And let's not forget the regulatory uh, issues uh, impacting internet in general, where you know compliance costs are going up. So you need more people for that as well. So I think it's a combination of pushing for growth, uh, but also you know headcount um, uh, impact. By regulation. So, Bob, what do you want to know from the company right now? Well, I want to obviously we want to get a better understanding of the details of this equity thing, which seems to have been a surprise, a bit of a surprise. Also, the uh, the click rates seem yeah. to have been down much lower than people expected them to be. So, you know, what's driving that click rate uh, decrease? Um, yes, they're maintaining strong growth on the revenue side, but it sounds like it's getting tougher and tougher uh, per click. Um, again, I think the overhang of regulatory issues are going to be concerned. I don't know that they can address that, but mm. I think explaining a little bit better more around what happened with that click rate um, is going to be important. And, of course, obviously a little bit more color on exactly what happened with Google Cloud is, is the other big thing I'd like to see. Well, and interestingly, just to reiterate something on <clears throat> the paid clicks, only up about 18% estimates there had been as high as 32%. So wow. as you say, it's coming a, a lot harder in terms of getting paid for people uh, clicking through. All right, we're going to leave it there. Bob O'Donnell, President and Chief Analyst for Technolysis Research. He joined us on the phone from Foster City, California. And Jatendra Worrell, Senior Internet and Consumer Products Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us on the phone from our San Francisco Bureau, giving us that instant analysis of those numbers and shares uh, still down. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how people sort of synthesize what Ruth Porat is saying in interviews, as yep. well as what we hear uh, from the company as they talk to investors. And they're saying that Fitbit closed higher by 31%, trimming some of that gain after hours. Yeah. It's down about 1.6%. So one can assume, of course, not getting any kind of com comment or confirmation, although you wouldn't expect it. No, you wouldn't so, be like, yep, we're doing it. Yeah, it's not how it happens. Thanks Come on, for guys. letting everybody how know. How long have we been doing this? Yeah, exactly. All right. Shares of uh, Alphabet, Google's parent, down 2.3% in the after hours. Certainly one of the names we'll be watching in the Tuesday trade. All right. So we talk a lot about fashion, apparel, retail here on this program, Carol Masser. And so we're delighted to have Chris Riccobono here with us. He's the founder of Untuck It. You've probably seen their ads. You've probably seen their shirts. You might have seen their store here in New York City. And you're about to see it in the UK. He's here with us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Chris, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell us about, I mean, let's go back to the beginning if we can, just briefly. Sort of the creation, the creation story, the creation myth is always interesting here. You are a corporate guy. You're a Columbia Business School guy. How do you get into the shirt business? It was the greatest idea that an entrepreneur can have is that I needed it to solve my personal problem. All my shirts were too long. I remember going to Las Vegas and I had three shirts and I wore the same one every single day because it was the only one that fit me at the right length. And it seemed to be an issue for everyone I talked to and the rest is history. I mean, it was as simple as that, right? Solve a problem. But tell me about it because I'm just trying to imagine the pitch to either investors or something. They're like, uh, yeah, we don't need that. The pitch to investors <laughs> was 
almost impossible because I, I would go to all my dad's friends and, and people who typically invest in things. This is 10 years ago. And when I went in and said, they said, you're going to make a shorter shirt and you want me to invest? Right. You know, and I said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with or without you. And so how do you find, clearly the market is there. You've got a, a couple dozen now, uh, a few dozen retail stores, but how did you find the market and maybe how did you find how to get to that market? So we launched Ecom Only in 2011, and at that time, most people said brick and mortar was going to slowly go away. Yeah. We found out right away that was not the case, especially because our demographic is 25 to 7 years old. It's massive. And the older you are, you want to touch and feel the product. So we opened up a pop-up in Soho in September 2015, and the response was just amazing. Um, everyone who had heard our ads over and over but never went online to buy us would walk by the store and come in excited. So we opened up 20 to 30 stores the following year, 25 the following year after that. So really fast expansion. Um, we're profitable. Uh, the the long-term value of the customer goes up when they come into a store. They get more attached to the brand. And um, so the brick-and-mortar slash e-com omni experience is what has worked for us. And it's men and women, right? Men and women. We were men only. And when we had about 50 stores, women would come in with their boyfriend or husband and say, what are we supposed to look at? Right. So we came out with a women's line, and it's actually one of our fastest-growing segments. So wait, so dig into the numbers a little bit. I'd love to know if, how much you can share with us in terms of growth rates. You're profitable, I'm assuming. We're, we've been profitable since day one, which okay. is much different wow. than, than the typical brand. And that's because we didn't have a choice. We had We raised 100 thousand dollars friends and family money we had to be profitable um, so it kind of became our DNA uh, we have 86 plus stores we are doing we will do north of 200 million dollars this year um, going into we have five stores in Canada which have done very well and now we're going into the UK all right so how much do you worry about sort of the trend going away from you you know this notion that everybody's gonna be like you know what I'm thinking of my parents when I was growing. Tuck in your shirt. Yeah. Like, you, you don't. You, you look sloppy. Tuck in your shirt. Uh, how do you sort of well, that's, battle against that? Yes, the first thing I did was pull out old pictures of my father when I launched back into the 60s and 70s. And guess what? Everyone's shirts were untucked. The difference <laughs> were they were floral patterns with, right. with huge lapels. and So it was a different style. But you can only wear your shirt one way or the other. There's about... I don't know, five to 10% of men who just simply will not untuck. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when there's only two ways to do it, you're going to be doing it either on the weekend or during at some point. And now everything looks so much nicer. Clothing in general, you can wear really high-end jeans, high-end sneakers, a sports jacket, and an untucked shirt and go into the best restaurant in Manhattan and fit in. I got to ask you, because we talk a lot about this. We were talking about it earlier in the show, this this backlash, which I think is good, against fast fashion, the way mm -hmm. things are made, uh, bad for the environment, labor laws, et cetera. Uh, what's your story there, and, and how do you think about making the product in a way that appeals to those who care about sustainability, who care about where it comes from? Sustainability is huge for, I mean, in order to exist these days, you have to be focused on that. We only, luckily, we only work with the best factories in the world. And I say luckily because we happened to come into the business when retail was struggling. Right. So as we grew, everyone wanted to work with us. I always think about what if we came in and, and retail was humming, would we even have been able to get into these factories? So we kind of get to choose which factories we want to work with. Manufacturing, I'm assuming overseas, Asia? Yeah, we're, or... in, we're in China, we're in Vietnam, we're in Mauritius, we're in Peru. We have a small factory that we do work with, that we work with in the U.S., so we are everywhere. And obviously now we need as many options as possible. But our factories are, we check them, we visit them, they're, they're the best that there are. Chris, just 30 seconds, is the trade war impacting you guys? 
impacting in the fact that we just have to be more strategic and we are moving stuff around into different countries um, outside of China just to be prepared, but it's not going to have a major impact on us. But you, do you believe you'll stay in China or is there a day where you'll be out of China potentially? I think there could be a day we'll be out of China. Wow. Okay. All right. You'll have to come back uh, and talk to us again. This was great to catch up with you. A great story and a product well-known and clearly fast-growing uh, into the UK, most notably in the near future. Chris Riccobono is the founder of Untuck It here with us in New York City today. Great idea. I love men's shirts, but I end up just tying them, as you know, I when know. I travel. That's right. Yeah, I'm not sure this this exact thing would work for you. I might but, try it. Yeah. I might try it. All right, so we've been talking a lot about private equity here on this program here at Bloomberg. We've been talking a lot about private equity across the country, and you know who else has been talking about private equity? Our next guest. A lot of Democratic uh, (laughs) candidates for president. Our next guest, he talks about it a lot, too. He's Drew Maloney, president and CEO of the American Investment Council, the top guy for the industry in Washington, talking to lawmakers, regulators, and all of them. Drew, great to have you with us. Uh, Great to be with you this afternoon. All right. So let's get to a new study that was just released because you guys are clearly uh, hoping to get the message out about the role that private equity plays in terms of employment in the United States. What did you find? Well, it was a great study, as you said, that we just put out last week. And I think the highlights are that uh, private equity supports more than 26 million U.S. jobs. And if you look at that and you break it down, it's 8.8 million in direct jobs. And then we also looked at the indirect jobs and related consumer spending. And if you add that up, it gets you another 17 million jobs. I would say that the other uh, point of the uh, two points of the study is it shows a diversity of investment. I mean, we're investing and everything from personal services, business services, manufacturing, information, construction. We invest across the entire economy. And I think that's a very important point uh, that we're trying to make uh, to policymakers, as well as the last point, which is the uh, federal, state, and tax revenue numbers that we're contributing. Um, I think that final number was $174 billion in tax revenue that uh, private equity contributes. So in terms of net-net, I mean, there are some jobs lost, right, as a result of private equity buying up firms maybe in like industries and consolidating them and then ultimately selling them again. So there's that argument. It's safe to say that there are some jobs, though, that get lost in the process, no? I mean, I think you have to look at it uh, as the whole. And I think a recent study uh, looked at this and said it depends what kind of job, what kind of companies that you're buying. If you're buying uh, more mature public companies, there may be some initial uh, downsizing and, and, and restructuring of the company in the first couple years. But over time, those jobs grow. And if you're buying growth companies, you know, they're starting at a, at a, at a, at a smaller number and they're growing over time or you're adding other companies to it. All right. So, Drew, you are a veteran of Washington. You understand the way the town works. You understand politics. You understand policy. And the all-important third P, you understand perception. Why is this not resonating? Why are people not really, in, as it sounds like you're saying, sort of fully understanding the economic and especially the, the job picture here? Because you are, I think it's safe to say, right in the crosshairs of Elizabeth Warren and a number of others who are running for president. 
as you know, in Washington, there is a lot of volume and a lot of noise. And I think one of the things that what we found is that we have to be uh, a contributor to that conversation. So members of Congress, members of the administration, every different industry is trying to make their their uh, cases to, to each of these different policymakers. And that's why it's incumbent upon us to do a better job of telling our story. And that's, I think, exactly what we're doing with this EY report that just came out this week. And it's also a reason why before every one of the presidential debates we put out on social media, we highlight the jobs, the investment, and the pension returns in those states right before uh, the debates. Yeah, and to be fair, I was just doing some research. Um, You know, in Harvard, Business School did a paper. um, I think they looked at 3,200 target companies acquired from 1980 to 2005, and they found that PE did destroy jobs initially, um, and that they find that over the longer term, um, the net effect is that job losses are ultimately less than 1% of initial employment. So they are showing that it's not as negative. Um, Okay, so you've got this report you're putting out. I have to say, to be fair, I feel like, you know, folks are going to say, okay, yeah, it's private equity putting out one of their own reports saying, hey, we save jobs. How do you, how do you, I don't know, you know, change that conversation even more so that there are other entities, you know, looking at the industry and really kind of telling the story? Well, I would say two things. One, that's why we partnered with EY, because they did the analysis to determine the number of jobs and across what industries that were supporting and looked at what the tax revenue base would be. And I would say back to your, the Harvard study, that was only one piece of the study, and that was the piece that looked at the large public companies that went private. And that's when you had some initial job loss, because as we all know, those companies are usually in a more distressed situation. If you look at the rest of the study, when you're buying, you know, taking private companies and you're you're selling them private to private, you saw job gains. And the other interesting aspect of it, even with those big, large public companies that needed to be restructured, you saw 8% productivity gains once they were owned by private equity. And so, Drew, do you feel like you are starting to sort of get some – uh, audiences that are that are changing minds because I think back to just last week, a, you know, a, a really terrific investigation by Bloomberg, a chilling investigation in many ways into home health care, where it really uh, paints a picture of sort of profits over people. And we're at this time where folks are starting to say, look, I want companies to make money. I want to make money as an investor. But even the business roundtable is saying we have to think more holistically about this. How do you get that message across that this is the approach, if indeed it is, that that private equity is ultimately taking? Well, I I would say that, um, you know, one of the aspects, and, and, and you wrote about it in your book, is everywhere you look, there is private equity investment around you. But I think that the, the challenge with that is most policymakers have no idea that private equity owns a Popeyes or private equity owns a Hardee's uh, or private equity owned a Hilton, which is now the, you know, one of the number one places in America to work. So I, I think it's incumbent upon us to tell those stories because you're right, you're always going to have a handful of sensational stories and anecdotes that paint a, br- a brush that's not really true of the industry across the board. So, Drew, I mean, have you had a sit down with Senator Warren? You know, uh, her criticism and the rules that she the new rules she wants to impose on P.E. Just get about 45 seconds left. Have you had a sit down with her to really talk about the industry? 
Well, as you know, she's fairly busy on the presidential <laughs> trail right now, so uh, probably not a whole lot of time to, to speak with us. Um, but I think the concern about her plan is that it would hurt jobs, workers, and retirees. And I think as that Harvard study you referenced said, one-size-fits-all legislation doesn't work for private equity because of the diversity of our investment. All right. We will continue this conversation in the future. I know we will, Drew Maloney. We really appreciate it. Good to catch up with you. President and CEO of the American Investment Council, as we said, uh, really on the front lines there in a very mm -hmm. important politics, political and policy debate there in Washington and beyond. And I will say the PE universe, as well as some other investors, can take a distressed property and put the money in to revitalize it and ultimately prevent a company from shutting down. And, and that is said, something Hilton that I think is, is a, important. Is a great example of that. All right, for Jason Kelly, I'm Carol Masser. This is Bloomberg Business Week, and you've been listening to Bloomberg Radio.